If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about pickup and deliver. What does it look like to design a game where you go over here, you pick up some stuff, you go over there, you deliver it, you get some points, you get some cool things that happen, whatever the case may be. And we're talking to Marcel Kohler from Liberation Game Design. Marcel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gabe. It's a pleasure to finally also be on the other side of the uh, podcast and actually try to tell some people what I've been doing and what uh, pick up and deliver is yeah man absolutely you've got a really cool pickup and deliver game you've been working on for quite some time it's been really fun to see it evolve and change you've been posting about it for a while in the bgdl facebook community and you and i have even chatted about it several times and i've been able to kind of offer some feedback and advice about various things and yeah really excited to have you here and just do a, a deep dive into this particular mechanism which has kind of been around for a while this is not a new mechanism by any stretch but there are still some really cool ways to uh, do it from different angles and do it from different perspectives and things like that. Really uh, pumped to talk to you about that. But before we get into it, who are you? How do you say your last name correctly? Because I'm probably, I'm pretty sure I just butchered it. And so tell people that. And then how'd you get into game design and all that kind of thing? So my last name is Köhler. It's a, it's a German last name. So with this umlaut on it, uh, so the two dots, which might make it difficult for people to pronounce. Uh, Especially if you're from Alabama. Yeah, so Köhler. <laughs> Is the, is the yeah, it's, it's what I said, right? It's exactly the way I said it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> keep it at that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, so I started around, actually, I was about nine or ten years old when I got this assignment at school um, and to, to make a game, I think, or to make something creative. And I made a, a huge roll and move game, a bit of a snakes and ladders type of game. Uh, but then with question cards that I, I took from some animal trivia game that I had, I don't know exactly the specific rules anymore, um, but I do have it actually in my house and I checked it uh, recently again. It, it has about 400 spots or so, so it's really huge. Um, and yeah, because my parents saved it, I still have it. Um, and so a few years after that, um, I started to make another game. Actually, there was uh, something that I was playing with some friends that I called The Game. We didn't really have a name for it. So but with Lego and, and, and other elements like that, and some very loose rules. Every time we play it, I think it has some totally different rules. Um, and you had to just attack each other, sort of a four X type of game. But you never really got. To, we never really got to the point of fighting because the the rules didn't really work well enough. I think for that. Um, and then when I was fourteen, I started to do a lot of live action role play events. So I always like to do some creative things like that. 
Um, and so after two years, I started to organize them myself, which I did for about 12 years. Uh, so this LARP events made me also realize that I like this type of games, this kind of storytelling elements. Um, and then the end of 2016, one of my student housemates and some friends brought some different type of gateway games, like the usual Citadel, Stick It to Ride, those kind of games. And then basically, I think within two months of playing those games, I started designing myself. I always, just as of LARP events, I thought, okay, this is cool, but I think I can do something else and can add something and make something cool as well. So I first started making fancy games based on this LARP world. But then about a year later, I realized, yeah, I studied history, so why not just make historical games? So that's what I've been doing mostly after um, trying to combine my studies with game design, which is a lot of fun. Well, very cool, man. Yeah, really excited to kind of see the, like I said, to see the games you've been working on, especially this this one that you've been working on for a while come mm-hmm. to life. And I think, you know, all those things coming together is just, is just really cool. And there's a lot of people out there that, um, that can probably relate and probably been through some similar things. And anyway, it's, it's awesome. And so as we kind of turn to pick up and deliver, let's get a good working definition. What, what does that mean? Like, what is that mechanism exactly just in general terms? And we can kind of break down ways that people do it differently and all that. But when someone says pick up and deliver, what does that mean? Well, the basis, of course, it's like bringing something from point A to point B, uh, through some kind of vessel at least that's how i look at it uh so some kind of transport element in there so either a ship or a boat or uh, like a train or something other than just moving a cube or a character themselves so you're basically moving something else other than yourself from one point to another but i think so the bjd definition is that it's Requiring people to pick up like an item or a good at one location on the playing board and bring it to another. Um, and then the initial placement of the item can be either predetermined or random. And the delivery of the good usually gives the player money to do more actions with. Uh, and in most cases, there's a game rule or another me- mechanism that determines where the item needs to go. That is sort of, in short, paraphrased BGG definition of it. Right. And a lot of times this manifests itself with trading in the Mediterranean where you're on a ship and you're delivering spices and gold or whatever, or you might be in space and delivering basically the same types of resources just with space names, science fiction-y names. It seems like that's kind of the, the main way, or like you're saying, with trains. But again, just picking up cube, you know, the red cube and taking it to the other place and picking up the black cube. You know I mean? It seems yeah. very generic um overall that's kind of like the the general stereo type at least and uh, but i'm excited also about talking about some ways that designers are doing things very differently and your game is, is like that uh and we'll get to that in just a second but let's let's talk about why why are people drawn to these games uh, merchant of venus is been one of the most popular games for a very long time people still play it and love it to this day it came out with a second edition not too long ago mm-hmm. and upgraded all the art and everything and so people have been playing these games forever people love train games they love routes and, and you know delivering things and all that but why what is it about these games that draws people in for me personally i think it's um the positive element of how can we do this so as efficient as possible how can we get to point A, from point A to point B in such a way that we can maximize our, uh, yeah, our our efforts, basically. And I think that's also what maybe many people 
think is fun in this type of games um, that you have this kind of very clear goal often. It's like, okay, if I go from here to here, I get this amount of money, points, or, or whatever you can get in a game. Um, but if I go here, it might be longer, but I might get more points. But if someone else goes there first, it might devaluate how much my thing is worth or in the next round, it's worth more or less points. So you always have also this kind of potential obstacles in a way for your perfect route, uh, at least in most games, I think. Um, so I think that that is another big element of uh, of these type of games that you really have, uh, yeah, trying to to maximize the, the the euro style element of it of how can I get this cube or whatever you're transporting uh, most efficiently to the other other side where it has to go. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the word puzzle is is the right word and why people are really drawn to these games. They they love the mental puzzle, the mental challenge yeah. of figuring out okay, can I deliver these things different places more efficiently to more maximize my points than the other people at the table, because if I can, then I am in some way smarter than they are. You know, I'm able to kind of crack the code of the puzzle better than they are. And and especially in a game where you can't really affect each other, if there's not really any direct, you know, player interaction or anything, it's kind of like I'm working on my routes and you're working on yours. And maybe, you know, I pick up a cube before you do, and there's a little bit of interaction, but in general, it's kind of an even playing field. Typically, you know, usually these games don't have a lot of like, Oh, I blew up your ship. And now you have to go back and start, you know, sometimes, but for the most part, yeah. they're, they're more Euro yeah. in nature. And so I, th- I think people get the opportunity to feel clever because they could figure it out and, p- and play their ability cards or, or move their ships around or move their trains better than other people at the table. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm smarter than y'all. That's that's what happened. So I think that's definitely something that, uh, that draws people in. From a design standpoint, though, what is it about these games that, that keeps bringing designers back? Like what made you really want to design a pickup and deliver game, even though it's not your typical trains or ships? Like what? kind of made you want to make one of these games for me it was actually not really necessarily the first thing i thought about um the game the, ma- the main game i'm working on now dutch resistance orange overcome is a game where you where, where sort of theme came first really it's it's not necessarily what i i recommend or, or everybody should do but for this one specifically i had that as as the first goal and i try to think okay what kind of things are you doing with this theme and one of the things really was trying to keep people safe for example so and if they stay too long at one spot then it could lead to trouble so you had to bring them or have to bring them to other places uh to keep them safe and also many things were in short supply or were hard to get so that's why in my game i thought okay if i just have one spot to just get this resource um and another spot just to get this resource. And then you need to combine both somewhere else to do something um, in short to, yeah, to complete a part of, of your goal, basically. So for me, that just, it came sort of naturally. I started actually with a sort of a semi-data winter clone originally, uh, where you can get the resources on multiple places. So it wasn't really, yeah, you, you, you were not really picking up and delivering any anything as much. Um, but then slowly on, it developed into really more of, okay, yeah, you have to get this thing only there just to make it a very interesting puzzle. It became more indeed of an interesting puzzle element, which I, I really enjoy in the game. Yeah, very cool. All right, so there are several like key elements or foundational pieces of pickup and deliver games. And you and I were chatting about this before we started recording about some of these different kind of sub-topics, sub-areas of 
game. So let's kind of go through those. The first one, the first and foremost obvious one is resources. So mm-hmm. tell me about resources, the who, the what, as far as these games, because they all have some kind of resource that you're moving around the board. Tell me about resources. Yeah, so indeed, like the who or what are you transporting, indeed, is, is one of the things that I always try to think about when I'm trying for, for example, making a new scenario in the game to keep the basic of basis of the game the same, but like, what can I change? So uh, resources could be many different things. Often it's some kind of good, like get grain on, on island one and then island two needs grain, uh, but there you can get wood. Those kind of often it's often they're very, um, how do you call this replaceable you can easily you can often easily replace these resources like generic just kind of could be anything yeah Yeah. um sometimes it's people uh that that's uh less common i think uh but it's still still an option that it could be people um and in many games it's not uh a really important element of the game and therefore it's often i think often cubes or tokens uh sometimes miniatures but most of the times like it has a name and it has usually a, a, either a simple image or or yeah some wooden component but that's usually the the, the main thing it's it's often also the question i think for these kind of things if there is a lot of space or a limited amount of space like are there a lot of resources you have to transport or only one at a time that's a, a big difference in in certain games um and are there any rules connected to who or what you're carrying or any difference in the things you carry around like are there five different resources or just one? Uh, but if you transport them over a bigger distance or a smaller distance, they might be worth more or less points, for example. Um, in my game, there's a few very different elements to that as well, where sometimes you're carrying people, other times you're carrying items and they have different rules connected to them. So it's, yeah, I try not to make them too generic, but the resources, I think in most games, are generic unless there's some... Uh, specific rule connected to it and often they're not as generic anymore but there are some games where the resources can be used in multiple ways so if you can use them in in multiple ways then um then basically the resources become more important or a more important element of that mechanism or that part of the pickup and deliver mechanism right It it does seem though that in a lot of these games it's red resource brown resource black white i mean it really doesn't matter oh this is wood ah, it's it's a brown cube you know and especially in the science fiction games it's funny I, i've played some where the designer had all these like crazy hard to pronounce words these made up resources <laughs> and like people at the table were like i don't know how to say that it's like five syllables and they're just like give me the green give me three greens give me three green cubes you know like it, it just turns into uh, whatever the practical thing to say yeah. is and they're not going to say whatever weird science fictiony word with the seven x's yeah. is and so they just say yeah, give me five green cubes and so i think yeah. that's something just to think about as a designer is, is i mean you want to be thematic you know and it needs if, if you are trading in the mediterranean it does make, make sense to trade spices and different things mm-hmm. like that but ultimately doesn't matter <laughs> you know and, and <laughs> trying to make it as easy on the players as possible especially in the science fiction game make those words easy to pronounce or put some pronunciation guides in the front of your rule book and just say hey this is how you pronounce that weird word here's the phonetic spelling or something like that i think that goes a long way uh, also you brought up an interesting point as far as like the number of resources do you have yeah. three do you have five the more you have the more complicated the combos get the more yeah complicated the the puzzle gets so i think there's 
that's definitely something to think about because the more you have, I feel like the longer the game's potentially going to take or the more you have to be aware as far as like what resources turn into what kind of points and all that. So in your game, how many how many resources do you have and what was the thought? Like, did you have less? Did you have more at the beginning? Did you have to change the numbers? Tell me about that. So I had, I've been going back and forth a bit with four or five different resources and I notice with playtesting often, I also start to give them names, even though mine are based on actual things that people were either carrying or, or having like i have my, my resources are money and uh, network as uh, like meeting or knowing people which is harder to see as a, as a specific resource but one of one of the things um they have rations uh so big stacks of papers um and then you have like, making sabotaging plans so you have like a, basically maps of where something can be done to to sabotage something um and then the last one i sort of added again and and had out for a while and then put back in back and forth was information because information is a very important element uh for my theme but not really necessarily uh, i didn't want to have too many different resources because i i did want to try to make it a bit abstract so that there is enough attention to the resources but not so much that you you have to keep track of them uh, too much i had all of the resources had a special ability connected to them for a while but i i cut that out because it just makes the oh give me the yellow cube like oh give me the yellow cube because i could use it for this this or this and then if you do that for four or five different resources it, it might take over too much of the game i think um which is maybe also one of the reasons why it's not always in in uh, games and even if games have a lot of different resources it's often because they have different money values but then like in a different image, but they either are worth 10 money or 50 money. But other than that, you see, there is no, no difference. Um, so in my game, you can transport maximum of nine resources at the moment. I've been moving around back and forth a bit with that. But if you have four or more resources, there's a bigger danger. And if you have seven to nine, there's even a bigger danger. And I might even tweak that a little bit more um, for, for harder difficulty levels in the game. Uh, just so that it's, uh, yeah, even more of a dangerous puzzle. Right. And it's definitely something just to keep in mind as you design one of these is how many do you have and what is that going to do to the complication or the complexity of yeah, the game? Sure. All right. So let's uh, let's keep talking about resources. Now let's talk about how do you transport them? How do you move them around? You know, some games have a board that is fixed and these are the routes every single game, no matter what. Some games have tiles come out randomly or just kind of a random setup that changes the routes and does, does different things. So tell me your thoughts as far as how we're getting these things uh, from one place to the other. Yeah, I think that is, for me personally, always also something that you should think about thematically, like what makes sense. Um, a game, for example, Black Fleet is, a, is an interesting pickup and deliver game, I think, where you have basically three types of vessels. Um, one where you can transport three different resource, three resources, one where you can transport just one your pirate ship and one that basically just attacks the other ships uh, to try to take off these resources as well or just try to get rid of uh, the other boats in, in short. Um, so that is one way to have very uh, different types of, of vessels basically that, or or different ways to, to use them. Sometimes it could be also a, a train or just a person with a bag or, yeah, many other types of, of things. But I think mainly you have to check what is what is your theme and how 
does this make most sense for people so that that part of the pickup and deliver mechanism doesn't become a burden like oh uh if you have like for example five different types of vessels like which all the different rules for those could be making this a a very complex game when it doesn't really need to be uh so i think that's something to to keep in mind also what you want to do with them do you want to have um something to transport them that has a lot of space for resources or just a few spaces uh do you have options to upgrade them uh or or get a second one if you start with one um those kind of things are are, are questions you should uh, you could ask yourself another thing that i think is really um potentially important and um it's easier with some games than others um but for example cool ways to transport the um if it's cubes or anything else, uh, cool ways to transport them, like a game like Mumbai, where you have to put the like the cubes on, on top of an elephant, or again in Black Fleet, where you actually have to put them in the ships. I can just help a lot with making the the pickup and deliver mechanism uh, more appealing or more interesting, just to look at on the board. Like, oh, I have the ship. I see my three cubes in there. Oh, ah, now I lost one. Now I have only two. So I think that that can make it uh, interesting as well. Yeah, there's definitely something to to keep in mind is the components. You know, do you if you have a pirate game or trading in the Mediterranean game, do you have like a little plastic ship with spaces to put things, or do you have a spaceship where you can actually put the cubes on the ship? It just goes a long way in bringing out theme. It also makes the game a little more expensive. So, I mean, it's just different <laughs> things to uh, to be aware of. And another thing I was just thinking about um, as far as like the setup. You can also vary the setup almost like a semi-variable way, where maybe you have a board that's fixed but then mm-hmm. the locations come out as tiles or cards or something like that. And mm-hmm. those change every game where maybe the locations of the different resources or different you know, stuff that's going on in the game, that can be changed even if other things aren't. So I think there's lots of room for mm-hmm. different setups. And like you're saying, it just really depends on your theme and what you want to do with the game. Now, you mentioned obstacles a little bit there. Keep talking about that. What are some of the obstacles that typically come up to, to mess with the players or to make the game different in these styles of games? Yeah, just to uh, uh, also mention um, the, I think it's a very good point that having a very variability in setup is 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 important. Um, I know in my game you can just have the the basic setup that has been play tested and tried out the most, um, but uh, you can also just shuffle up all the locations, uh, which is in a way also an obstacle in a way of of transport or could at least play into that. Like how close is something? Uh, to to the end goal is is often one of the obstacles that that might not be seen as an obstacle, but is definitely an obstacle. Like, does it take me one action point and I have maybe three or four in a round uh, to go from point A to B uh, to point B, or does it cost me two, three, or or all my action? Like, uh, maybe it costs me two or three turns even to get to where I need to go. Uh, so that's definitely, in my opinion, one of the obstacles. But it could also sometimes be other players. Sometimes if it's fixed routes, uh, as in some games, uh, maybe they're blocking you and you have to go around them. Or like in a game, uh, Merchant of Venus has uh, been mentioned. You have, of course, the special spots on the board where you have different requirements to, to be able to pass. Uh, so those are some of the ways where you can, can make uh, going from point A to point B a bit more interesting, a bit more challenging and, and add a bit more of a strategy to it. Uh, Star Wars Outer Rim has often two paths to go to the next place, for example, like a, one at the top, one at the bottom. Uh, so those are things to, to consider as well. How can I make that element of the game um, interesting, these, these obstacles? Um, 
another way is, for example, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Um, you have these points of interest, and you don't, first of all, know if they're actually someone you have to save. But if, if after you know who, uh, like which point of interest is one that you can take with you and and try to save to to bring it outside of the house. Um, to move with them, you need two actions instead of one. Uh, the same with in there when there's fire, you need two action points to to cross instead of one. So those are ways also to increase obstacles and make the route uh, for players different. Another way, as I mentioned already, Black Fleet is uh, they because you have these three different boats. Two of them can basically damage other players uh, and attack them. Um, it it also is in a way an obstacle because you try to stay outside of those other ships to make sure that you don't run into them basically um and i think a very important part of that also is to think um potentially at the start if you really want to make a cooperative or, or a competitive game or a solo game or a co-op and solo or all ops or all of all of those options at the same time because that can grip give you different obstacles to think about if you have a cooperative game obviously the the main obstacle would come from the board, either distance, either other things. In my game, you have routes that are basically semi-blocked. You can pass them, but it just it, it will not help you. Uh, it, it will just damage you basically uh, in one way or another. So you don't you want to avoid that. But knowing that if you go around it, it might take you a lot more action points. You might still want to decide to to go there, or maybe all roads to a certain place are blocked, and then you sort of have to if you really want to get to the place. But in a competitive game, it could often more often be maybe the other players and the board itself can be a bit more simple. So it really depends a bit on what you want to achieve with the with the obstacles. Um, also, if you want to have them random, for example, uh, with some dice rolling, as you see in some games, that you can. Uh, be sent to another direction or if you really want to keep that part of the game fixed in the end with the fixed roads and not really have any element of luck in there um, so there's many things you should you can ask based off of what are the obstacles of transport because i think one of the main things in a pickup and deliver game to make it interesting is to have interesting obstacles uh, just moving from a point a to b could be really quickly very boring or very uninteresting um so having ways or reasons to... An obstacle could maybe even be that something was worth 20 money at the start of the round, but because something happened or another player, player did something, suddenly it's only 10, and it's like, okay, is it still worth to go there? Uh, so those kind of things could also play a role in that. Right, and it, in a lot of ways, it gets back to the puzzle nature of these games. Mm -hmm. And when you introduce obstacles, you're introducing interesting variables to the puzzle, and you're kind of changing the game up in different ways, and now the player has to figure things out maybe differently. They, they were going to go there, but now some things changed or an obstacle got in the way. And so now maybe it makes more sense to go the other way, or maybe it's a higher risk to do things. But again, it, it keeps the game from being solved. If, instead of players sitting down and going, okay, I'm going to go here first turn, their second turn, their third, fourth, fifth, and then the game's going to be over. It's okay. I'm going to go here first. Oh, the game just changed. Now I got to figure out something different. And I think that really just adds to the interest level of, of the puzzle overall. So, Let's, uh, let's keep talking about these things. Let's talk about why. Let's talk about why we're playing these games at all. It's like, sort of usually that's thematic-based, mm -hmm. but you know, it's kind of the foundational thing. Tell me as far as like the why of the games. So I think um, the why is often either a reward or the way to win the game. That is um, depending on bit, a bit on what type of game you're playing. So often it's just 
getting giving you points. Um, but not always. Sometimes it could also be indeed the way to win. In my game, it's often a bit of both. Um, so you can take them to get a bonus sometimes, and other times you can take them because you need them to uh, bring them somewhere to get one step closer to winning the game. Um, so I think that is usually the the main thing to to think about. Why? What what does it give players if you transport something from A to B? Uh, and and often it's 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 victory points, but not always. Uh, sometimes it could be. Um, it could be, yeah, it could basically be anything. Um, I think, so it depends a bit on what type of game it is as well here. This this kind of questions, many, many of these questions, it's like, okay, what type of game, what type of experience, what type of fun do I want to create? Do I want to create something where all the players are basically looking at their own player board or at the main board and not really see what other players are doing or... Do, do I want to have a lot of interaction with the other players? Uh, and that can make a, a difference. Um, also, how big is the the actual mechanism? Like, is it, is it the main thing you're doing? Or is it just one of the options to get points or one of the options to get forward in the game? Um, so I think the benefits have to be clear uh, at the start for, for everybody. But they don't always have to be... Like, the specific bonuses don't always have to be visible for people it could also be sometimes very interesting to have a card that you have to draw and then if you go from point a to point b you get a lot of points and people don't know that you get this this amount of points or that you get even any points at all if you go to that place so it could be a very interesting element there as well like the the, the why of of transport or the um like what is behind it as a player what choices are you making or trying to make as a player to uh, to transport them. Yeah, for sure. And then right off of that is also the when. When are you transporting these resources? Does it matter? Do, you know, Are there different phases in the game? I'm reminded of Tricky Tides, which is a trick-taking slash pickup and deliver game. It's very good. I, I've really enjoyed uh, playing it. And it's basically set up into two different phases. You have the trick-taking phase where you're playing cards and that's going to determine some things about the game and m- movement of your ship and things like that. And then you move into the actual pickup and deliver phase where you're moving your ship around and and picking up cubes and delivering and getting orders and scoring points and things like that. And so the win for that game is a little bit different than it is for other games. So tell me your ideas, your thoughts on when you're picking things up, when you're moving things around and how that kind of plays into these games overall. Yeah, I think there's quite a few different subsets of those. There are some games where just once indeed in a, in a phase of a turn, like one element of a turn, it could be that it's your whole turn, just moving uh, a train or, or moving um, a ship or, or any other thing that you're you're, you're moving around. Um, and also, do you have to move them a lot or just a few times? Um, so I think it, if, I, if I use my own game as a reference again here, then um, you have to get a lot of resources to complete different uh, elements of of the scenario goal and it's different every every scenario but there is some requirement tokens where it says okay we have to bring this uh, these resources often a a few different ones to to this specific place uh, to get one step further Um, so it could be something that you just ignore for part of the game because you have other dangers or other elements that you have to take care of Um, and it could be sometimes 
smart to to do that it could also be sometimes better to to wait a bit um so i think that is the the when is very much connected to how this mechanism plays a role in the game um if it is the main way to get points then obviously you probably you probably want to have many moments and many points where this plays a role uh so that basically maybe every turn you you're delivering something um while other games, yeah, you might not want to want to do that uh, as much. And I think that if you have a game like uh, like Wasteland uh, Express Delivery Service from Jonathan Gilmore, I think it's really uh, has some very interesting ways to 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 do the uh, pick up and deliver, and mostly the movement. Like you have movement points every round, three, four, or five. Um, and with those movement points, it basically shows you how far or how little you can you can move around. And there, basically, you have to, to, to move every round. But some other games, it, it, it might be good to not move them around as much and just spread it out more over the, the whole length of the, of the game. And maybe have it just once or twice, but be it very, very important moment. Where it's like, oh, I have my whole ship full of things, and now I managed to deliver all of these and get a lot of points or things like that. So I think the the when is mostly based on uh, what type of uh, like how how big of an element it is and how what kind of moments you want to create in your game. Like, do you want to have the fun of making all the small deliveries, getting small bonuses from them, or or small points or anything like that? Versus, yeah, you want to build up during the game, get better ships, get other better things until at the end of the game, suddenly you can really quickly deliver things or can deliver a lot in one go. So I think that is also uh, uh, something to, to consider of, of when when do you transport them, I think really reflects back to many of the other reasons as to why uh, and how you're transporting them. That's why I think... That is that is an important question to maybe ask as as the last one when you already know how you want to transport them, what, why, uh, yeah, and what you what the possible obstacles are. Then you can see okay when do we have the actual transport moments and how often uh, do we have those? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to think about all right. Do you want your game to be quick routes where players are constantly changing? the resources over and constantly fulfilling orders or longer routes where they have to go from one side of the world to the other. And so it takes a little bit longer, but you get more points or do you want to have a mix and there's all sorts of different shorts and mediums and longs and things like that. I think it's just something to be aware of. And, and like you said, is pick up and deliver the main experience, the main, like the core of the game, or is it just a part? Cause there are like, there are a lot of forex style games where pick up and deliver is just one small aspect. And so that's going to make your game a little bit, Different. I'm also reminded of Ticket to Ride Marklin, which has this small, this, this kind of very interesting little pick up and deliver part of the game where you're trying to think through, all right, when do I want to deliver these passengers? And you want to make sure it's at a moment that you can maximize the points that they give you because you can only do it a few times throughout the entire game. So I think that's another thing to think about that you might be designing a game where pick up and deliver is not the core. It's not the foundation, but maybe a pick up and deliver sub mechanism would add some interesting ways for players to score points or, or crack the puzzle in a different way. I think that's also just something to, uh, to think about. And then also as it relates to time. So let's talk about that. You want to make sure the game 
is fun the entire time you're playing. You don't want to have a two-hour game that's only fun in the first hour, and then the next hour is just a slog of figuring out, all right, well, we, we know Bob is going to win, and now we just got to play another hour to like prove it. And so you want to avoid that. You want to make sure the time going in is creating more fun coming out as opposed to I put a bunch of time in and like the fun dwindles. And so tell me about that as far as things to think about when it relates to pick and deliver games and making sure that the game is fun throughout the entire time. It doesn't get just samey. It's the exact same thing over and over again. I pick up brown cubes. I deliver them here. I pick up red cubes. I deliver them there. Repeat a million times. Tell me about maybe some things you ran into with your own game and just things to think about as far as like how long the game lasts. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. I think Tom Vassell, when he was reviewing uh, Fast Food Magnate, also said that after 30 minutes or so, he knew already that he will not win um, because he was playing against two experienced players. Um, so if you see his review, he talks about that as well. And I think that is, um, it might be indeed one of the most difficult things to make a fun and interesting pickup and deliver experience, not just a pickup and deliver game. Uh, and, and, and not just make a, a good game when, when it's sort of like okay to, to play it like a few times a year, but then the rest of the year it should collect dust um, versus making it into something you want to play every week or, or every day. Um, so I think some of them, some of these elements come indeed into, um, like if you want to make a big uh, 4X game, maybe you don't want necessarily to be pick up and deliver the main uh, thing if that is um, if if not everything sort of is built around it to to make it more interesting like upgrading your ships by feeling that you're progressing towards something I think that's one of the main things um, with these kind of things either you're making maybe a puzzle where you are um, like you're designing the, the type of puzzle where it matters a little bit less but it's maybe a bit shorter um, Versus where, yeah, you can can really build up something. I think that's one of the the, the things. Um, it could also change by having different cards come out uh, on different moments, uh, having different specific uh, ways where either the opponents get get harder or or easier. For example, yeah, if I if I use my game, you have all the different roads. You have twenty roads in the game. Um, and on those 20 different roads, there could be nothing, like no token. There could be a policeman or there could be a soldier. So it's basically three different levels. Um, so if there's nothing, you can just move over it. Nothing happens. If you move um, over it and there is a policeman uh, or a soldier, you draw a, a control card um, and there's some text on it. And it gives you... So it, it helps to really try to put in this what would I have done in this situation kind of stories? That's what I'm trying to put in there with just a few sentences. Um, and you could technically even uh, compare them a bit with crossroad cards a bit in a way, but then you'll know when they will, from, from that of winter, but then you, or, and some other games after that as well. But uh, that one is, I think is the most well-known, but you can just sort of, decide okay do i want to have this kind of moment or not do i want to go over the safe road uh or not and if you if you really want to go to the bank because you really need some money then uh and but it's sort of guarded by a policeman and a soldier then you probably or two policemen you have to go there um and and draw and resolve one of those cards and what it made it very interesting it was this kind of aha moment um is actually when i was um I was hiring some developers to to really try to see, okay, how can I make this as interesting as possible? Um, and I actually had meetings with Jonathan Gilmore, who made uh, Wasteland 
uh, Express Delivery Service, as well as that of Winter. So I was really happy to talk with him about how to make this more more interesting. So I definitely also recommend people to um, to talk with others. Uh, they can talk with me as well if they're interested to to try to see uh, what other options. Because sometimes you can get a bit blind on how to really elevate uh, this part of of gameplay. Um, but it was actually Jay Cormier who made uh, Acro Theory, uh, another pickup and delivery game, uh, who says, who said, why not let in someone else read this card instead of yourself? Because before it was just yourself and you were basing it partly on how much it will affect you in a negative way. Like if I choose option one, uh, it, it's sort of okay. If I choose option two, we lose or, or it's, it's worse potentially. Um, so I changed it into, okay, someone else reads this text just as, actually with these crossword cards. That's when I started to compare them a bit more like that. And then suddenly it really became a very interesting moment. Ah, so if I take this card, I have to choose between uh, two things and I only know based on the text of this option, what will happen to me potentially. Like it could say like, if you choose left, uh, it might affect everybody, um, but then written in a, in a very nice way. Uh, and if you choose option two, it will affect you and then you could look at your player board and you see like, okay, like alibi in the game is sort of your life points uh, in a way. Like, oh, I only have two left. If it gets zero, everybody loses. So I'll probably choose option one. And then, yeah, it might affect everybody. But you, and then, so after you chose based on the text, you you actually see, okay, what is the effect? And I think that's a very interesting element of games that could do something like that, where you can just um, have this kind of element to it, where you can have this kind of, uh choices of the actual movement uh, whether it's how you move but in this case if you move past this specific obstacle um then something happens it doesn't always have to be big or uh like a, like this kind of card and a deck with different effects it could also sometimes be something simple as a die roll that i had in an earlier version of my game and that you see in some other games as well um but and in my game what i'm trying to do uh, is getting more and more of those policemen and soldiers on the board, so that it really tries to increase the tension that way because there is it's, it gets harder and harder to avoid them. So you more and more have to resolve these cards, and something bad will happen. Um, you just don't know exactly what yet, unless you play the game so often that you know them by head. But then I'm very happy if people play my game that often. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely not something that I think is bad and it gives me options to just add more cards in a, at a later stage. But so I think indeed that's, that's a very important part. How can you get this build up this kind of tension, whether it's competitive, whether it's co-op, how can I make uh, this, get more fun out of this specific mechanism um and i think a lot a big part of the people maybe who like this mechanism um i cannot really speak for them or generalize but what i think is that um this upgrades really help people to to um enjoy this mechanism so i think it's often either um that it might get harder and there's different tension there and that, that creates the fun until you really get to this point where um, there could be either a hard stop because of a specific amount of turns that you can sometimes also I know that in um, Merchant of Venus there is a variant where you just if, if I'm not mistaken um, where you can just play with either less turns or, or start sort of a bit halfway to make the game shorter um, so 
depends a bit on 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 what you want as a player as a play group but i think that is um uh, yeah i think i think the fun either has to come from uh, making the game more tense and and difficult or upgrading yourself and making making it feel like it's getting in a um how do you call this that it's getting to sort of a closing point in a way um that it's that it's ramping up building up until yeah you you reach this this final few turns and and i think that's where where most of the fun could come in um another thing that i think is really important to to get the fun in there um is if things could change um Either if things get, you see that in many uh, pick up and deliver games. I think where things get worth more or less points, uh, or more or less money, or things like that. Um, so I think that's another way. Um, Star Wars Outer Rim, you have the like you're either neutral or hostile or like friendly towards certain factions. Um, so those things could change during the game, and it can adjust. As I mentioned, also um, some obstacles could may become just a bit different and what i another element that i haven't seen in, in many other games uh but is still in, in 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 some games um is that the obstacle changes um these policemen and soldiers on the roads part of them move every round so that just the puzzle every every turn just a little bit so that every turn it's like oh should i go uh, I wanted to go here now, and now we cannot anymore, and now we have to go another route. So I think that's that's something else to to keep in mind as well uh, when you're trying to see how long should the game take. Um, yeah, what what kind of fun can we add to it? Right, and you brought up several interesting yeah. kind of little subtopics to to dive yeah. in right there. Uh, and so one thing is a dynamic market, or or having it having some kind of system where the prices change or the values change and things like that. And that can kind of keep people interested and, and keeps the game potentially flowing. And it keeps players with, with some tension. Cause you know that uh, if I'm first to deliver, then I get 10 points versus being second and I only get seven, like doing different things to mess with the market. Or maybe it's like a supply and demand kind of thing. I've seen some games have a closed economy where there's only a certain number of red cubes and green cubes or you know, whatever mm -hmm. the resources are. And if none of those are available, then there's none available. Like that's, that's mm -hmm. all there yeah. is. And the supply and demand changes like how much stuff is valued at and how, you know, how many have been delivered so far versus how many are out in the system. So I think there's some really interesting ways you can mess with the, the markets and the, the economies of these games. But then also you were talking about kind of the risk reward parts of this. So you mentioned it in your game where, you know, you can go a certain way, but then there's a higher risk and, and things you have to kind of think about and maybe try to mitigate and all that. So let's talk about that just for a little bit, as far as these games are concerned. Uh, let's, let's talk about risk reward and, and how that plays into strategy, how that plays into game design, different things you've maybe seen in, in other games or your own. Yeah. So I f for me, what was really important to make the risk and reward interesting I had um, one of the elements in my game is where you have to move people who are hiding. So so people that have to stay safe um, and they cannot move on their own. So you have to make sure that they are, um, yeah, that, that you move with them. Uh, so it's just another resource in a way that you have to move from point A to point B. And um, I tried, for example, that it, it will cost two action points to move them around instead of... Um, instead of one, where normally it will cost you one. But you only have 
normally uh, roughly three action points per per turn. I'm saying roughly because my game has an element where um, you have a shared group of actions uh, that can be used by anybody, depending on how high the morale is. Um, but just so that is that is another thing where you have to yeah think of your risk and your reward. How how many actions if people are available for people, or how many things are there that you can do with your actions or with the available options in the game. Um, so the risk and reward uh, with those people, I realized um, instead of having it become a boring thing, like, okay, I can move one spot each round and then one spot. And I just sort of put that in half. Um, I try to follow Matt Leacock's advice a bit that he had on this podcast uh, when he was on, where you try to either put things in half or double things to really see the difference. I don't always use it because sometimes I'm feeling that it might shake it up too much. But in, in this kind of case, yeah, I thought, what if, um, basically also, what if people can move twice instead of once for an action point? So suddenly it became much more dynamic, much quicker. Uh, so I definitely also recommend people to try out um, how big of a risk and how big of a reward is interesting gameplay-wise and, and, and fun-wise. Not even... Uh, if it gives you many or, or few points, but how long is it interesting to just move one specific thing? Like how far should it move? So I, I made it actually that in the second scenario of the game, you have to move these people from point A to point B over three different free roads. That's the shortest route. Um, and you can move up to two times um, to with for one action point. So basically instead of three action points, it only costs now two. Um, but you can move them. You cannot move them along a road with with a policeman or a soldier on it. So you have to try to. It's like a bit of a double puzzle because you can move them in this specific scenario two other ways. So you have to try to create safe roads, uh, not by fighting or or killing someone because my game is fully like non-violent, but by trying to find other ways to to go around. Um, so that is a, a a restriction in that element. But at the same time. Uh, you every time you want to move past this this occupier, uh, so this policeman or soldier, you have to think: Do I really want to risk another uh, another control card? Some of them are, are okay, and you're like, okay, didn't really bother me much. I I lose one alibi or I lose one morale. It's not it's not not a lot. And some of them could really sort of damage you uh, or the group uh, a lot. So you have to. I think what is good to know is how much of this risk and reward is available for for everybody at that point i also mentioned it a bit earlier that when you like the why of 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 transporting i think comes back to is the risk and the reward known at the time or are you rolling dice or you're drawing cards that have effects are you doing something else um in, in any game whether it's pick up and deliver um or just normal movement where you're not really transporting anything because I think that's one of the main differences with other mechanisms is that you're actually transporting something. But what element or what support is there to to help with this risk and reward and how much or how well known is it? Um, these people that move at the end of the round, these policemen and, and soldiers, you know which area they're going to move um, each round because you can see it on the back of the card, the color on the back of the card. Uh, but you're not, you don't know where they're moving. Uh, so those kind of things can, can help. And I noticed when I was designing that when 
you didn't know any of that. It's like, okay, it, it feels too random. I have no control over it. Um, but when I actually just added the color on the back of the car, it's like, okay, we know in the top left corner of the board, something will, they will move. So maybe I don't want to be there at the moment in the round when they're going to move. I don't want to be in that specific area because it could uh, potentially harm us um, or harm the player who's there. Uh, so I think that is another thing to think about or, or one of the main things when, when you're talking about the risk and reward. How much is it known um, and how clear it is to to do it? Um, in Acroteri, you get either more or less points. The harder it is to, to place, um, uh, I believe it's temples, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on the board. Like There is specific requirements to be able to place one, and the harder it is, the more points it gives. And I think you should always try to see if the reward is just slightly higher than the difficulty level. So you should try to see if if it's two times as difficult, it might give three times as much points. So people want to go for the further one, knowing that it might take them a lot longer. And especially if it's temporary things, so if... Uh, the market of things that you deliver uh, can fluctuate. The longer you have this specific resource in your possession, the higher risk you're taking. So the more potential reward you can put, uh, you can connect to that. I think. Right. And that actually brings up another really good point as far as figuring out the math of the points versus the resources and the combos or the deliveries or whatever it is. You really need to have a handle on the math behind everything because that's going to determine the risk and reward of a lot of different things. And the last thing you want is for the the options to be very, very clear to the players where this option over here is obviously way better than that option over there. And the risk is about the same. And so I'm just going to, this is obvious. This is not a choice anymore. And so now the game's kind of playing me and I'm not really making choices in the game. It's, it's, it's already made. And so I think that's another thing just to think about is, is how many points can you get uh, on a turn and how many, spaces do you need to move versus points that you gain or how many resources are available and are there fewer resources and so you get more points whatever it is whatever the math turns into but just figuring that out on the back end because that's going to determine how the play experience unfolds and the tension and the risk reward uh, factors i think there's also just to add a little bit to that um, another interesting way to do that or or you can add to that uh, element is to have asymmetrical players or, or player powers um, with starting with different ships so that what is a good choice for you might be a bad choice for another player uh, and vice versa. Um, or as, as a Merchant of Venus where you have your own uh, location where it's better to go than for other people um, and, and getting small bonuses for that I think can help a lot because I indeed agree that some pick-up and deliver games might have this um, feeling of it doesn't matter what I do, uh, I, I will get there sort of anyway. Um, like, I, I don't have a di- real choice. And I heard that, uh, again, from Tom Vessel in in, uh, in a video on, on Mumbai where he said there's an action where you get one point for doing nothing. For not moving, you can just get one money. Uh, and... Or, or one point, and there's like you said, there's 16 turns 
uh, in the game and you start with two money. So you have like 18 points. And he said, sometimes I have 17 points at the end of the game. Yet um, I've been doing and trying all these things, moving all these things around. And this other player might just be, okay, I'll just stay here on my spot, do the same action the whole game. And I might have one more point than you. So I think that is definitely something to, to, to keep in mind as well. Um, to not have these kind of options in your game, to not have a strategy that is so straightforward. Um, and I think that's where randomizing decks could play a bit of a role, but could also make it difficult to um, make it balanced. I had, or I have 20 different control cards in the deck, and I am planning to add more, but I know that um, now there's this relatively okay ratio of easy to resolve cards and difficult or dangerous cards. And the more cards I add to it, the higher chance there is that you might draw 10 very dangerous cards at the, at the start of the game. And then suddenly it might be very difficult to, to win the game. Um, or you draw 10 easy ones and it feels a little bit easier. So balancing that might be difficult. Um, although at the same time, as I mentioned, in my game, it's a choice most of the time. Um, where you go and how you proceed. Uh, if you take the longer road, you don't have m many of these risks, but it just costs you time. And time is, um, in, in many pickup and deliver game, uh, a very big obstacle besides the distance and distance and time is usually connected. Um, so I think that is, that is an interesting thing as well to try to see how can I make it with asymmetrical elements um, or shuffling decks or things like that. Just a little bit more interesting uh, as well. Right. That's definitely something to keep in mind. Well, Marcel, this has been great, sir. Closing thoughts. What would you tell somebody who's maybe working on a pickup and deliver game or, or listening to this show and now they've got an idea? What would you tell them? I mentioned it already shortly, uh, a little bit, but I think just work together with others. Um uh, if you want a, a good and, and really great game, test it out, play test it as much as possible with uh, other designers, with non-designers. Um, that is, of course, the basics of, of good game design, I think, and, and pick up and deliver is mechanisms are not really different than, than other mechanisms in, in games. But try to see, indeed, how can you make something fun and interesting over a longer time? Is that by adding uh, unique elements? Do you want to make it very thematic? You want to uh, not maybe make it very thematic and, and try to reach a different crowd because there is a crowd, I think, out there that really doesn't care about a theme. So I really like this kind of immersion uh, and that's what I try to put in my, in my games. But I know that not everybody likes those things. So um, try a lot of different games. Uh, there is... A bit of a stigma, maybe, I think, of, of that indeed pick up and deliver games are very often very similar. But if you try to play many different ones and try to see the small, subtle differences, you might see something very, very interesting. And I was fortunate enough to to yeah have some chats with, well, with you, Gabe, uh, but also with, as I said, Jonathan Gilmore, Jay Cormier, and some uh, Andrew Hout, who made uh, this most really recent Aliens game has helped me a lot. Um, so I think that is uh, potentially a key element to 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 make an ele um, a potentially very basic mechanism give very much um, depth 
in a way um, and, and, and try to see how you can implement that, how you can make the resources different. I have very, every scenario has either different resources or different people you have to transport with small different rules to it, uh, making every scenario very unique. And I think some of those things is, is, is what you should try to, to keep in mind. And um, I'm always open to, to talk about game design so people can send me an email if they're like, um, uh, at info at liberationgamedesign.com. If they have any questions or if they're interested in talking about this or, or other things or just want to connect, because I think that is what this hobby also makes great and can really help uh, move you move you forward um, with yeah with game design in general, but with a mechanism like this in particular where um, you really have to try to bring something new to the table, I think as well, uh, versus some other more recent themes where that's potentially not the case. Um, so yeah, I think that is uh, one of the main things. Try out different games, meet new different people, play test it as much as you can and try every idea or potentially every idea you have uh, of how you can make it interesting to go from point A to point B if you want to have a, a pickup and deliver mechanism in your game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Marcel, we've talked about it a little bit. Well, actually, a good bit at this point, but uh, your game's up on Kickstarter right now. Give me the real quick elevator pitch for that one and why people should check it out. So my game, Dutch Resistance Orange to Overcome, is a scenario-based cooperative pickup and deliver and resource management game about the Dutch Resistance during the Second World War. Um, in a period when most people were just too afraid to oppose the occupation Nazi forces or occupation German forces, some decided they did not want to sit idly by. Uh, they formed groups and found ways to sabotage these occupiers' plans. And you're one of these resistance fighters. And they're all based on... They're all asymmetric characters based on real resistance fighters. Um, it's fully focused on nonviolent resistance. So you're not killing any soldiers or other ones like many other World War II games. You try to avoid them as much as possible. And all scenarios are based on different activities of the Dutch resistance. So that makes for a very tense, exciting, fun, and historical game that doesn't try to force the history on you if you don't want to it has mechanisms that can really make you feel the story but it's not a mandatory thing to know anything about the, the history um so yeah that is uh dutch resistance orange overcome awesome well marcel really appreciate your time really appreciate you joining me here on the show good luck with the kickstarter campaign and everything else you got going on right now Thank you very much, Gabe. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm really happy to, to talk about this and uh, I wish everybody uh, many good game designs. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?